Alright, we're going to begin the top of Nunhei uh, now. The Mishnah at the top of Nunhei. Uh, so uh, yesterday we talked about Yerek. What is within the category of Yerek? Today we're going to talk about Dagan. Someone who restricts himself in Dagan is then also restricted in Pula Mitzri, right, some sort of gume that's, that's dried out, that they used, they made into flour. That is the position of Rabbi Meir, because that is also something that is Idgan, right? Idgan means that it's piled up and uh, brought together in a crete. Uh, when you're talking about Dagan, you're only talking about the five grain species. Someone who restricts himself in <coughs> produce, um, produce in Then the word means the five species. Whereas if he restricts himself in Dagan, he's not certain everything, and what does it exclude? It excludes right, fruits and vegetables. And so these are you know, the you have the five green species, you have fruits and vegetables, and then you have items in between, which are also piled up like tagan, um, and they are also could be made dried out and made into flour. So the question whether these are included under the term tagan or not is bachlokus between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim. So Mars is the memra. Right, it's so based on this, the Dagan, called me the Midgan Mashma. Hold on one second. It seems that the Sefer uh, contradicts the Risha. Am I missing something? Because... Rabbi Meir over there, right? And presumably the whole Sefer is Rabbi Meir. Right. And then he says, And uh, Right. I, I don't... Not necessarily... Uh, I think that's an example. Not necessarily, uh, you know, a disagreement. Chamimar, is an example. Right, an example of something that's considered idgan or dagan, even though it's not mechamesh edaminim. And then Rabbi Meir is differentiating between the word tshuah and dagan. And so in the same but explaining why Rabbi Meir's position is that dagan includes pula mitzri is because he thinks dagan means means anything that is, you know, nidgan or idgan, mm-hmm. whereas tshuah means the five species. And so that's, it's the reason for his position in the, in the ratio. Okay, the member the Dagan found the Midgan Mashma. So according to Rabbi Meir means that Dagan means anything that is piled up, right, you know, brought together. Mashma, meaning to Rabbi Yosef, Ukhe Farutz Hadavar. And when it uh, spread out, Harbu Bnei Yisrael Reshit Dagan Tirosh Vitzar B'chol Tuat Sadeh Larov. So when the, uh, this is the time of Chizkiyahu, when he re-institutes or he re-ignites the fervor to take two months of Maestros, Right, the people were not taking Jumas and Maizros, and then he goes ahead, goes ahead and he makes Tukanot to strengthen Jumas and Maizros, and it says he was successful, and he's successful, it says, with Parutza Davar, Harbu when he, it spread out, and Bnei Israel brought lots of Reshit Agan, Tirosh Vitar, which would be the items mentioned, right, in the Torah that you have to bring Jumas and Maizros from, right? Dagan Tirosh Vitar. And all the produce of the field, you know, plentiful. Or master, right? I'm sorry, master, I call, I call the rope. He took, he took razor off everything. So now, so the, the question here, what the question is exactly is somewhat, uh, my focus here between the Rishonim, but the, what we'll see basically is that 
if you take care of uh, there's an extraneous word. Let's put it this way: an extraneous word or phrase in the puzzle we just read from the Navi. And based on that, it seems like the divide truths and maestros a race or dagan means a specific group of things, and that's going to be a problem for us. So we're going to see. Some yeah, marts dagan kodemid gan mashma. Right, if you think Dagan means Kodamidgan, right, my Kiparutza Davar Harbu, or Hirbu. That went Kifrotza Davar Hirbu, right, thank you. When it spread out, right, then they made plentiful. Mean that what were they doing? What, are they, what does it mean that when it spread out, or when it was uh, accepted, that they brought more? Right, if Dagan, so this will read according to Rashi. According to Rashi, if the word Dagan already means, according to Rabbi Meir, everything that is piled up, then what is, when it says, there it already said, we have the term used, Rashid Dagan. So then when it says, Hirbu, that they brought even more, what is even more that they brought? They're already bringing everything. So how can they be bringing even more? So Rashi says, the Ran says that the problem is, if Rashid Dagan already includes everything that's in the field, then what is the additional term of It's unnecessary. So either way, what you see is that the gun must be a narrower definition. And therefore, when you say Hirbu Garov or Hebrew or Tzuleta Sadeh, it's in addition to the gun. Right? So the gun must have a narrower definition. So that's a question on Rabbi Meir, who thinks that the gun has a very broad definition to include anything that is, right, mid gun. So Amar Abaye, why? What's the. Okay. Amar Abaye. Right, so there you go. So that's, I think, maybe what you were hinting towards. That the fact is that there are other categories that aren't really mentioned here. We have Tirosh Nitar, and then we have Dagan. Now, Dagan can either mean, you know, just the five species that comes there, or like the Rebbe Meir says, it means everything that is, you know, produce of the field that's piled up. But then you still have other categories which are not mentioned here, which are fruits and vegetables. Let, us, let it be that either Tzvata Sadeh or this Hirbu, right, includes Peirota Ilan Biyarek. And therefore there is something in addition that was not mentioned in the, in the first three phases, and that's what we are, in, that's what the Pusuk is trying to identify or point out, that they also brought Trumuk Maestrot on Peirota Ilan Biyarek. Right, and to point out that in general, everyone agrees that, uh, are only Midrabana, right? That are only rabbinic in nature. He wrote Hailan, most Rishonim uh, believe that also only Midrabana. There are, there are some that believe, I think it's a Rashi, it's, I mean, not, it's not the Rashi here because he doesn't mention it, but there are Rashis that mention that Peyot Hilan might be the Oraisa from the Torah, but in the Torah, right, you only have Daganti Rosh Vigitar. Right. Not, I mean, not necessarily today, but when it was, right, that's also my focus with today, that has application, but when it was, Shusha Meister's word deal, right, so, right, it only included, Minatora was Daganti Rosh Vigitar. Alright. Now, Everyone agrees, which is, right, obviously from our Mishnah, that if you just use the word Tua, that means the five species, the five species of grain. We have a brisa that suggests similarly that the shavin the nozer minatua 
Remember that if he uses the word Tzula, he's only referring to the five species. And when it says Pshita, right? So what? I mean, that's obvious. You read our Mishnah, right? You know that. The Rebbe Meir says Tzula means five species. But why is this? What, did, what, are you, what are you telling us here that we didn't know? So when it says, Maldeteimah, Tzula, Komili, Mashmah, I would have thought that Tzula means everything. Mashmalan, Delo Mashmah, Komili. That it doesn't mean everything. All right? Now, what it says, From the Mishnah, why would we think that Tzvua is anything other than the Chamesh Semina? Right. I don't know. I think, well, the, I think the question is more on the price, all right? When it's Bush, you know, so I'm a Chashem Minim, and then we have each Bishavim, but no, when it's Bush, you know, so I'm a Chashem Minim. Okay. Right? I, I don't know if the, I'm not sure, uh, all right, you're going to, we'll see in a second why. It's, uh, why there's a possibility to think otherwise. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the point is that you could have read the mission like this. Rabbi Meir Omer, I know there in And that's only Rabbi Meir's position. Chachamim disagree. Right? The Chachamim say Dagan means five species, but Tua maybe means produce, means a larger grouping other than just Chameshidaminim. So even though Rabbi Meir is the author of the statement in the Mishnah, the Bryce is going to tell us that even the Chachamim agreed to that position. But you would have thought it's obvious, right? Because Dagan, the Chachamim say, is five species. And Rabbi Meir says it's everything. It's what? Certainly where Rabbi Meir says it's five species, Chachamim agree. So that's exactly what the Bryce is telling us. The Bryce is telling us that the Chachamim agrees to that position of Rabbi Meir. No, but what's the Pshit to that? That's the pshita. The pshita is, of course, everybody agrees, and the Gemara says, "No, well, I would have thought that tzvua could have meant something more expansive." Or maybe just just the fact that the statement is made—not not for any long-term reason to use the word—but just the fact that the, the mission says it in the name of Rabbi Meir, you might think that that means, you know, that the chachamim hold otherwise, right? Right. Okay. Very much that everybody's on the same page here. Okay. Meiti Yosef, Right, so in that Pasuk, alright, what do we see? That Pasuk has the term Kifrotadavar, right, and then it had, it had in that Pasuk Tagan, and it has Tvuat Hasadeh. So if you were to suggest that what, that the word Tvuat would be more expansive, and that's what Rabbi, right, Rabbi Yosef is, Asking here, then you have the word tuwa could mean something greater than just simply the chameshin medium. Otherwise, if it just means chameshin medium, why does it say dagan and then tuwa ha'sedet? You're repeating the same term according to the chacham. If you believe the word tuwa means five species, and you the word dagan means five species, then the pasuk said dagan and it said tuwa ha'sedet. So why do you need both of those? So the answer of the gemara is. I mean that Tzvot HaSadeh is a noun phrase. It's not the word Tzvot, it's Tzvot HaSadeh. Tzvot HaSadeh, maybe the common or everybody would agree that Tzvot HaSadeh is a much more expansive usage or description. It's separate. Right. A separate, right, a description, but it's not Tzvot. Tzvot, the word, if you had just written Tzvot, maybe that means, that's synonymous with that time. Right. Did you just say Tzvot I mean, there are, no, it doesn't have to say it. There are, the words of what can stand alone. Just their point is that in this puzzle, which is talking about truth of Tumas and Maestros, 
that the fact that the words, you can't prove anything from this puzzle about the words Vua, because this puzzle's usage is Avada Sadeh, right? So it's a noun, you have a noun phrase, and you can't just separate out and say, oh, that means what the sense Vua are synonymous. That's what they want to say. Alright, so he was, I guess he was passing away, and his, his uh, last, you know, his last words, he gives over to Rabba, 13,000 Zeus, but he can only take it min alauta denarpanya, from the alauta, I'll loosely translate it as produce, okay? I'll loosely translate it, that's what going to have to discuss, denarpanya, from his produce that was found in Arpanya. So this gentleman left, right, to Rabba, a gift of 13,000 uh, Zeus, but he was only entitled to, to, to draw that gift down from the produce found in Naharpanya. So now the question is, what does the word alauta mean? And if he's entitled to draw, or what's collateral for his gift, is this alauta. What is alauta? So that's what we have to discuss. So, Shalfa Rova the Kamejah of Yosef. Rova sent it to Rav Yosef. Alauta hefe mikarya. What does alauta mean? So, alauta, which is interesting, first of all, he sent it to Aside from that, he's, you know, that Rav Yosef was there at that time, but Rav Yosef is a Bucky and Targum. Right? Why is Rav Yosef a Bucky and Targum? Because right? Rav Yosef had gotten sick, right, at one point, right, and he was forgotten, but he also wasn't able to see, right, and so he was learning Torah about and their day when you learned Torah uh, Shabbat, you had to learn it Minat Tav, or you had to be able to see it, and when you learned Torah it was Baal so Yosef was unable to see, right, he learned, or became a Bucky in Targum, because that's how he learned Torah Shabbat was through the Targum. Well, nobody mentions it here, I thought it was interesting, that maybe that's why he sent it to Rav Yosef, to find out what Alauta meant, but we'll see in a minute, that he wasn't unsure about it, but that maybe that's why he sent it to Rav Yosef, the word Alauta, tell me what the word Alauta means. So then, Rav Yosef must listen here, it's a Mishnah. Everybody agrees that when we're talking about the word tvuah, right then you only usher in the five species. So that the word alauta is the targum for tvuah. So since alauta is the targum for tvuah, the word alauta is only going to mean five species. So that's basically what Rabbi sends back to him. You want to know what the definition of the word alato means? It's tua, tua, and we have a mission that says tua means five species. Look at the reverse of what we said before. What I misunderstood it was that the, the, the reason for the hobbling of the tua might mean more is that, um, is that the target translates it as alato, and alato could be a more inclusive term. term, which we're going to see in a second. That's exactly what Robert's going to interpret it as more expensive term. Exactly. Right, so that was the, uh, right, we, in, in the Gemara before, when Rabbi Yosef challenged on the Pasuk, why would he have thought what was the more expensive word? Is because it was translated as alalta. Alalta means anything, sounds to mean anything good or positive. That's what it seems to be a more expensive word. And therefore, you would have thought more. And then we said, no, that that meant, but there you're discussing Tuat Asadeh, not, right, uh, necessarily Tuat. So now, 
Rav Yosef says, Tua means justifies peace. Emily, by me, dummy. Tua, Lomash, That's not true. Tua means, or uniquely is, is means, five species. Alalta, Komili Mashma. Right? Alalta means everything. It's, it's a much more inclusive term. Alalta versus Tua. Even though Tua can be translated as Alalta, that doesn't mean that Alalta can be translated as Tua. Right? So, Adrua, the Kameda Rava. So they, you know, they returned this, so they replied to Rava. Amar, how do come you violate? That wasn't my question. The Alalta, Komile Mashma. So there you go. So there, he says, I don't have any question about this, that Alalta was a very expansive, inclusive term. Right? How do you violate? This was my question. Skarpatim, Uskarspinot. What about the rent from house rents and boat rents? Right, my So since they depreciate, they are not considered alalta. Now again, the word alalta here seems to me. I'll read you just the definition the Rashi gives. Alalta mashu that moves up, grows, and is gets better. Right, Right, so that means any. It seems like anything that grows, right, that gets better with growth and right? <laughs> So anything that grows and improves with growth, right, that would be included. So now his question is, what do you do with rents? So rents are, you know, they are positive, they grow, but there's an underlying problem with rents, is that the asset that's generating the rent is also depreciating at the same time. So is it, is the rent really in some sense a compensation for the depreciation, right? Or is the rent right, something that's independent of the depreciation? Right. So that's your alright, so we'll see here now. So yeah, he says the Gemara says, do you say that since they depreciate, it's not considered alalta, right? It's not considered improvement and growing. Or maybe because the depreciation is either one obvious, or number two, it's not necessarily in concert with the rent, meaning that it might be independent of the rent. You might depreciate it at a different rate than the rent is being collected on it, therefore it's considered good. So, Amru Rabbana and Kameda Rabbi Yosef. In HP12C, you would know it. I mean, it can't mean that you don't know that, but if you can know the the depreciation oh. rate. It's not that you don't know the depreciation rate. It's just that it's not no, but those are, that's a, that's a, that's a financial depreciation rate. Is that the actual, is that the physical depreciation rate? I mean, we have accounting ways to depreciate. That doesn't necessarily seem that it reflects the real depreciation. I mean, people depreciate items and they're still around when they're fully depreciated, right? So that, I mean, right, that, that means that obviously it was, I mean, quote unquote, incorrect, but that, that we made assumptions that are not necessarily the real depreciation rate. Okay, Amar Rabbanan came to Rav Yosef. So the Rabbanan told Rav Yosef what Rav had said. Amar, Bechima, Akar, the Lutzarachlan. If he doesn't need me, if he knew what the word meant, I'm I Solachlan. So what is he, why is he coming to ask me about Alalta if he knows what Alalta means? And he has some other question. So Yosef was very upset about the situation of Rav. Now, again, the way I explained it above, that if you say that Rav Yosef was an expert in Alalta, right, I'm sorry, in Aramaic, right, or in Targum, then it makes sense that he sent him for the word to, he thinks Rav Yosef, he thinks that he gets the, the definition of the word Alalta in 
Targum, and then he gives it to him, and then Rav writes, you know, they send back, Rav says, I, I didn't need that, I wanted to know whether these items are included in Al-Alta. So, you know, maybe Rav Yosef says, oh, that's not, you know, that's not in my purview, I mean, that my expertise is in this Targum, that's what I thought he sent me, and now he's trying to ask, he's really asking me about something else. Right, or, again, that the point is that he didn't, uh, if he should have defined what he was asking, not asked me, you know, you know, he wasn't clear about what he was asking for, and then when he comes back and Rav says, I know that already. That's not a nice way to ask, right, if he wanted an answer, especially oh, oh. since Rav Yosef gave the wrong definition. But it's really not, it's, it made it sound like he really did not know when he asked, he didn't know it was talk. He was embarrassed, so it's how I knew that, I, I, you know, I have a different question, he's, you know, uh-huh. and right. then you sort of, you know, covered up and saying, yeah, you didn't know that, you know. I admit that you don't know, you know, so. Okay. No, except that, except that just before, Rav was saying, Right, I just think it means more oh, than so that. So, uh, he, he had some sense of what it meant. Right, he had some sense of what it meant. But I will, it's possible, you'll see that the following Gemara, that Rabbi Yosef was upset at Rabbah, and he was upset that he was a uh, Balgai. That's what it seems to be. That the way that we show him read the criticism, or the most of that he gives him, is that he was a Balgai. And uh, so that he should be more, less of a Balgai. So either way, it could be, I think you could read it your way. Which is that when he said, oh, okay, I knew, I knew, I knew that. Yeah. Right? That's also a form of, right, that person can't admit that he didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have the possibility of reading the Kumar that way. I, I didn't read it that way, but I, I don't think it's, uh, I think it's a possibility that you could read it. Right? Uh, all right, so Iqbal says, Shama Rava. So Rava heard that Yosef had been upset. So what do you do when someone's upset? Okay. All right. So, He went to see him on Arab Yom Kippur. Right, to ask for a suicha and mechilah. So, he found that his servant was, you know, making wine for him, which is just interesting in general, right? He's Arabian Kipper, and he's, you know, we have the, there's a mitzvah to be Margaret Basuda. He's also, you know, he's drinking wine, and it was, I guess, very common. They, they were probably much more, uh, it was much more common that they drank wine in their day, but, you know, I can imagine taking that, you know, taking out a bunch of alcohol right before Yom Kippur. But uh, here he is in Arabian Kippur and he's drinking, he's drinking wine. So his uh, servants pouring the wine, but mazig, right, means to dilute, right, to dilute the wine. Their wine was, you know, unlike ours, which comes bottled and prepared and already, you know, diluted in a sense, water. <laughs> they, they did the, they wine concentrated. They had, right, exactly, wine concentrated. Was the, they came in the petal bottles and they, they diluted the wine. So his servant was about to dilute it, so then he jumps in, Rova jumps in. So he says, right, So he says, let me do it for him. Let Rava do it. And Rava was unique. Where Sakhim says that Maziga, that Rava had a specific type of Maziga. Maziga, I don't Any Maziga that's like the Maziga of Rava is not a good Maziga. So what is that? Rava had a unique Maziga, which is that it was three parts water, one part wine. That's his, uh, that was his dilution. Right? So, that was his unique. Must, must be called the right. <laughs> right. He had that patent. He had that <laughs> So nobody else could use 75 <laughs> percent. So I believe the Amzik late. I mean, I believe he became Muslim. He would cast the chamer. Right. So he did it. He constructed the chamer. I think Misga dummy the Misga the rubble. This is this is rubble's dilution. Right. So that uh, I mean the rubble the braider of Yosef. This is the Mziga that's unique to Rabba Bray the Rabbi Yosef Barakam. Again, so this, this was when Rabba, Rabba had this unique Mziga and Rabbi Yosef, he had learned by Rabbi Yosef in the past. Rabbi Yosef in the past had tasted it and uh, here he comes back and he says, wow, this reminds me of, 
right, of Rabbah's uh, old uh, dilution methods. Right, so Amrlay Kunihu. So he says, Rabbah says to me, I'm here. You know, you got it right. You guessed right. So Amrlay, Loti Adamartli Perushdan Milsa. Says, don't sit down, right, or don't uh, get down on your knee, on your legs or on your knees till you explain me this pasuk. What does it say in the pasuk? What does that mean when it comes to the uh, Shira by the Be'er? Right? The Be'ezel find the Be'er late in the, in the 40th year, they find a Be'er. And they complain of the water, they find a Be'er, and then they sing a Shira as a Shira. At the end of the Shira it says, So what does that mean? Says I'm like Kimitro said that that smoke a midbar when a person makes himself like a midbar like a desert who move karla kol that is open right to everyone. <coughs> then Torah need no lobe matana. Then he gets Torah and is a gift. Shneimar umidbar matana from the midbar right one who is in the midbar gets the matana one who is the midbar gets the matana. Once he receives the gift, then his inheritance is Hashem. Then once he reaches, once he inherits that which belongs to Hashem, right, the one who has the Nachlav Kel goes to Bamot, right, the high places. But then if a person, when he reaches these heights, he also brings himself up, meaning that he makes himself haughty. Hakarim baruchu shmash filo. Hashem pushes him back down. Shemar says, umi baabot hagai. Right from the baabot, he goes to the guy. Right, the valleys. So from the heights, he'll be down to the valleys if he, again, mean he be out. He lifts himself up. So that he'll be pushed back down. Blowout. Not enough that he goes down to the valleys, but they, right, implant him, all right, uh, in the ground. Right, so that's the, uh, again, that part, it's interesting, because that pasuk is not part of, it's, it's a different pasuk totally, right, it's not part of the, uh, it's not necessarily, I'm sorry, no, no, that is part of it, I say. If he says Chazar, then Hashem lifts it up. Right, that all those in the valley will be uplifted, or those in the depths will be uplifted. So that's from Yishayo. So that's not part of the puzzle, but the Gemara sees it as a continuation of this sequence. So that we see that people who are in the valleys can be, or those in the depths can be uplifted. So the Pasuk he interprets to be referring to Limina Torah, that one has to open himself up to understanding, learning from everyone, right, and treat everyone, you know, in an equal way. Meaning that one has to, the way that we show and read it here, one has to be, I, I, I don't know, I, I would have read this differently, so, but you know what, I'm not a reshell, but I would have read it differently. <laughs> but all the Rishonim read like this. Rashi reads it. He has to teach Torah to everyone in a manner that is carefree. He has to give, you know, I mean, he has to teach without being compensated. The, uh, the way the, the Rosh learns it is just Torah Tolakol. He has to just teach everyone. Not, not about free, but just has to teach everyone. And Sam Tosis interprets it that way. I don't know if I would have, I, you know, again, far be it for me to say this, but I don't know if I would have interpreted it as being required to teach here, but rather the uh, characteristic that we have, uh, we have that by, uh, in general, by Torah, one who makes himself 
Midbar. Means to make himself low. Right? Midbar is not considered something of value. It's not considered something. People don't take possession in a Midbar because it's not valuable. Right? It's not something that people need. So if a person makes himself like a Midbar, right? he doesn't consider himself to be above doing something, above learning from everyone. Right, so I, I don't know if I would have said a teaching. I would have said it about the person's middos, that he doesn't see himself as above anyone else. He doesn't see himself above anyone to learn from them. So that's the statement. And it was a hint to Rabba to be a Shabel Ruach. Right, whereas, and that would make, uh, make sense to me that then that relates to the later half of the puzzle, which is, right, that Imhik Bio, if he makes himself haughty, right, again, you can learn the way the other Rishon learned it's Imhik Bio, if he raises himself up, means that he feels that he's above others to teach them. And then Hashem pushes him back down. I would have said it has to do with the core character of the individual. If he's now got the Torah and he feels above others, right? Where he's no longer, right? he doesn't feel like he can still learn from others and that he can still interact with others. That's a character trait. Right? Then he, Hashem pushes him, puts him back down and then he teaches him a lesson. Uh, oh, that's interesting. I didn't, uh, did not think of that. I mean, I, Rashi doesn't say that. But he does say, So maybe that's what people say that Rashi is interpreting Midbar to mean Midabar to speak. Yeah. Uh, it sort of implies in here, I think. And uh-huh. that, uh, just like a Midbar is open to all. Right. That's why right. I would have read the simple interpretation as Midbar, because that's what the word is. But you could, I guess, I don't know if somebody, if somebody interprets that, that Rashi is using the. Uh, <laughs> that yeah, that mid the bear because that's what he's doing, he's teaching, so the bear could be right. is uh mid the bear could be. Although I, I would have I read it as midbar, Shumufkalakol, which sounds much more and not like Kimid the Bear, Shumufkalakol, which is much harder to read. Someone who's always talking. Is Mufkalakol? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I would have read it that way necessarily, although you could have interpreted that the play on the word is uh from midbar is mid the bear. Right. Okay. Either way, uh, so here this Rabbi Yosef is giving a hint to Rabba that maybe he should uh, tone down his, I know it, <laughs> or I knew it already, or I didn't need to ask you about this uh, question. Right, and again, if someone does this and makes himself, there is a way to rectify it, and that is that there is a tshuva, that person has the ability to bring themselves back up once Hashem has put them down. <coughs> this, this, uh, this approach, uh, maybe I mean that open to all, um, some of you say that the egotism in uh, in yeshiva is that uh, the let's say many yeshivas and let's say many yeshivas are always only interested in the best guys, and as opposed to saying you know, our responsibility is to teach Torah to everybody, you know, we don't want to be known as the place with the best guys, and, and so that may be a, a failure of their mission. And there is and, and there is a certain amount of, uh, of arrogance in that. I think. Right, so that's the Gemarian Brachos. Yeah, but it's not clear about most. If they end up having the right attitude, then eventually they'll have all the best guys. Yeah, no, And even then, whoever they take will be elevated to be the best guys. <laughs> so that's my focus, Gemarian uh, Brachos. That was what the Gemarian Brachos Gemarian Rosh Hashanah talks about, about uh, Rebim Leo. And uh, there were the, uh, he says that only Kosha Libo um Shavim can come into the Met base Madras. Right? And when they were mocking him from the Nasius, right, when they he was Ikput and they removed him from the Nasius and they made Rosh Hashiva, 
It says over there, Itosfu Safsalim Vabesmejish. They added benches in the base medrash that day because oh, they let everybody in. They took away the guards from the doors of the base medrash and they let everyone in. And so there are many that point out there in the Gemara that it says that, that they were Hitosu Safsalim. They added benches, but it does not say Hitosu Talmidim. <laughs> right? Because right, those that were entered weren't necessarily right. I mean, in some senses, he was right about the quality of those that he entered into the base medrash. But that was definitely, there was that exact focus in the Gemara in, in Brahms. Right. I was in the high school, so my boys went to Someone takes a letter from the Gan, it's also in Pulamitri Avesh, dry Pulamitri, so who's this? This is Rabbi Mayor, but he's Mutar Belach. Right, can, if it's moist, then since moist does not be, is not made into flour, that's excluded. And it's also mutter in oris, rice. What is it, I'm sorry? Right. 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 says when you say no you include That's what the price is saying here. The dry It's mentioned twice there, the word the chilka, uh, these are different types of wheat that are divided up. The kernels are broken into two, three, or four. Uh, again, I don't know from a, I don't have a good feeling about this. I don't know if before they roast them, before they, you know, grind them down. Again, I don't, I don't have enough insight into it, but that's what this chilka, targis, and tisne are. And they would not be included in the, uh, under the, under the term dagan. And I don't know if that's because it's not ground into flour. Not sure what the, the issue is, but they obviously knew this was something common in their day, splitting into two, three, and four pieces. You say splitting, uh, split kernels were not stored in piles. Okay. So they, uh, they split them before they were there. Right. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what the point. I, I don't know if that was just they were split or they split them. What was the purpose of splitting them? I didn't have a, I don't have a lot of insight here. Alright. Another another Someone who takes a nether from all fruits of this year. Right, then he's usher in all the fruits of that year, but he is still mutter in right, the diim, the goats, and the tlaim, the chalab, the milk, the beitzim, the eggs, and the kozlot. Right, so all the, uh, the young chicks. So when we say perot hashanah, we interpret it to mean literally right, perot, meaning not, you could add a broader term of perot, right, we see, you know, peru, you know, peru or vu. We use the term perot to also mean offspring, right, or derivative. So we, right, a derivative product. So we're not saying that 
here peyrot means any derivative, right? It means literally, you know, peyrot in the sense of produce, right? That it means uh, fruits, vegetables, anything that's found out in the fields. So it's exclusively sound. Whereas if someone says, he might be dulation, not a lie, right? If he says anything that is grown in this year or anything, then asr bukulan. Then he's even asr at all those items above because these are things that grow in this year. Okay? Uh, another mina perot mina perot haaretz hasur b'chol perot aretz. Someone takes a nether from all fruits of the land. Is also an operator. Mutar b'kmeimu kitriot smother and mushrooms and fungi. Ve'im amar gidule karka alai hasur b'kulam. If he says anything that grows from the ground, then he's also in all of these. Right. So why is perot aretz does not include mushrooms and fungi, whereas? Gedulei uh, Karka does include them. So Gemara challenges that. For Minhi, this is a walk on myself. Davarshin Gedulam in Aretz Amir Shakol Niyabi Barol. It doesn't grow from the land or from the ground. The Bracha is Shakol Niyabi Barol. Guess what? Doesn't grow from the ground. Netanya Alamelech Salt. Alazamit. Right. Salt. That seems to be like a high concentration of salt water. Balkmeim Upitriot Fungi and Mushrooms. Omer, Shakoni Ebed That's the bracha we make, right? We make a bracha on mushrooms from Shakoni Ebed Why? Why do we make a bracha on. It's in Yudulomin Haaretz. It doesn't go from the land. So, how could you suggest if a person takes a net there of Yudule Karka, right, that that would include Kameyim and Petrios, whereas for a bracha, right, they say it's not Yudule Karka. So, Omer well, that depends. Mirbu, Rabu, Me'ar. You're right, they grow on the ground. But when it comes to sustenance or nutrition or their, uh, their growth that is brought, that I brought their, where do they draw their uh, nutrients from? That is from the air and not from the ground. So if you talk about Gidule Karka from a term that a person would use, and it goes on the ground, that would include mushrooms, because they do grow on the ground. If they had a bracha, right, then we would not include them, because well, even though they grow on the ground, they do not derive their nourishment right, from the ground. So what it, what it means they don't draw the nourishment from the ground is, one possibility is that it's, they don't draw the ikar, that most of their nourishment is not drawn from the ground, that's what the ground, the ground interprets it. Others say that they don't place roots, Right, so that's why we say they don't draw their nourishment from the ground because they don't have roots. So even though maybe they do draw their nourishment from what they're placed on, because they don't root from the ground, then they're not considered to be do they karka. But either way, right? Either way, you see that what that the bracha is shackle because they're not considered do they karka. But yeah, they'd be put in the net. But the problem is the hot tani al davarsh in gidulo menaris. Problem is that the Brisa there, or the Mishnah, the by Brachos, when it talks about Brachos, it clearly defines that why are they Brachos Because it's not Gidulo Minaret. So they're using the exact term that we are using in the dark. So they're saying it's not called Gidulo Minaret. If it's not called Gidulo Minaret, then why in the nether will it be called Gidule Karko? Why would it be considered? So it says, well, Tani, Atavarshen, Yonik Minaret. Change the term. It's not Gidulo Minaret, but really Yinika, which is the the determining factor is Yenika. So Gidule Karka doesn't literally mean it grows on the ground. It means something that is nourished from the ground. So the, the interpretation of the word Gidule will be Yonek. Suppose you're in a nether, when a person takes a nether, when it means Gidule Karka, it doesn't mean that which nourishes from the ground. It means anything that's found on the ground. Okay, next mission. Another Minak Sut. 
Someone restricts himself in clothing, right? Mutar v'saku b'yiriyah v'chamila. Then he is mutar in a sack, right? A sackcloth, yiriyah, some sort of curtain, and a chamila is a thick blanket of made out of coarse types of uh, fiber. So, uh, because those aren't generally considered uh, clothing. So it says as clothing, he means, you know, things that people normally wear for clothing. So since a sack, a yiriya, and a chamila are not the normal clothing, therefore those were not included in his nether. Amar konem semer ole alai, he says that I restrict having wool on me. Mutar alahit kasod bikzeh semer. So when he says that, he means, what does he mean by semer? He means wool clothing. doesn't mean the wool itself, right? Pieces of wool, right? That, that's not what he means. So... And if he says, konim pishtan ole alai, and he says that same thing about flax, meaning linen, right, then he's mutar lechtasas banise pishtan, then he doesn't mean, right, the, the raw, I don't know, linen, the uncombed linen or uncombed flax, he means the linen, the product of clothing that's made by linen. So therefore you'd be mutar in those items. Now, review the Omer, so this was, uh, who was asking, Akadari was asking us yesterday, I saw this when I was preparing the daf, I said, ah, oh, this is exactly what we were talking about yesterday. That review the Omer, Akolofi, I know there, right, it all has to do with the context. The person and the context, right, and that's what we discussed yesterday, the possibility that the nether, you have to look at the nether within the context of which it's said. And that's exactly what Rabbi Yehuda says here. Tan Bezia, he's carrying a bu- he's carrying a bundle of wool, and he's sweating, and he says, and it's vayerichol kashin, it smells horrible. Amarkonim temer upistina lo elai says, I won't, I won't ever get any benefit from wool and linen, right? What is he referring to, right? In that context, what's bothering him? The wool that he's carrying. Does he intend not to wear a woolen clothing? No. His intention is that he doesn't want to be involved in this type of labor anymore, which is carrying around big bundles of smelly wool. Right? So then he says, when he takes the net there, it refers to the raw wool and not to the clothing that is made out of wool. He's mutter to wear the clothing, but he is not mutter to, to carry it anymore. Right? He can't carry around wool, but he can wear wool. Tanya, the person knows there min haksulut, someone who restricts himself to mutabasak ubiria ubakamila. So that's our Mishnah. Ve asur, but he's yet he's still asur. All right, now it's a, he's asur ve punda. Punda was some sort of belt in their day, a hollow belt, which they use also as it's almost like a money belt that they used to use. Ube pishia. He's taken off before he's down. Apartment. It's in Gemara Shabbos mentions it also. Gemara Shabbos mentioned a number of places in Shabbos. You see the word panda comes up. This money belt. If he wears it in the shops, he wears it upside down versus he wears it right side up, right, with the mouth facing up, facing down. Whether he'll carry right or not carry, or whether it's considered begit. Okay, pishia, a band. This is some sort of band or girdle. Ube sikortia is a leather coat. Ubikat valia, which is a leather spread. Anpalia is some sort of shoes, like socks, felt shoes, socks. Uplinaya are some sort of knee breeches. Umechnasayim, right, pants or shorts, bikova, and a hat. And so these items would be, he'd be restricted in these items. I mean, these are all considered or subsumed in the category of sus, as opposed to sak, iriya, and chamila. So my iskorti, what is this iskorti, which I told you is a leather coat? I'm a rubber barakana, kituna de tzala. Alright, again, leather coat. Alright, so uh, it's a, a ketonet. Kituna is a ketonet, the tzala made out of leather. 
Tanya, Yotzin. So where does Yotzin here? Rashi actually puts in the word. Rashi puts in the word Shabbos. But the other Rishonim point out that's what it's referring to, this Brisa. It's a Tosefta from Shabbos. Yotzin b'Shabbos. You can go out on Shabbos. B'Sak, Ava, U'Besagus. Ava, U'Biriya, V'Chamila, Amipnei Gishamim. First you can wear... Very good. So there you see what? These items are considered clothing because if you wear it on Shabbos, it's not considered hotzah, it's not considered carrying, means that you're wearing it. Because what you're allowed to do on Shabbos is wear clothing, you're not allowed to carry it. If it's not considered clothing, then it's considered carrying. Because you're not wearing it, you're carrying it. So what are the items that you can use? You can use a sakava, right? A thick, uh, thick uh, bag. Usagus ava, which is again some sort of uh, coarse woolen blanket, a thick coarse woolen blanket. Ubiriya, we said before, right? So it's a regular, like some sort of curtain blanket. Because of the rain. Ava lo, what, what you cannot wear is a teba, kupa, or machatzelet. You can't use some sort of chest, I don't know, some sort of. Uh, uh, you know, small wooden chest items to put on your head and not a basket and not a machatel, it is a mat. I mean, these aren't items that are worn. These are, you're definitely clearly using them for carrying them to protect yourself from the rain and not wearing them to protect yourself from the rain. So, rowing yotzim besakim, velo rowing bilvad. The rowing go out with, why is it that sakim are considered clothing? Because the rowing go out be sakim. So below rowing bilvad, not only do shepherds go out in sackcloth, I'm adam, so Anybody can, and everybody does wear it, but it's just that who is normal? Who is the normal person to walk around with a sack-like uh, clothing? That was the rowet, and that's where the thumb says. So it's a question. This is a question on Mishnah. It, it, it's mashma that a sack, sack right. it's not a clothing on Mishnah. Mashma that it is a clothing. Right. That is right. That is a question. Uh, uh, the a side point, not right. Uh, right. I think either you take us with sakava, right, which is may differentiate between sakava and sak, right. I think that's what. You, in the end, you can have to say uh, that that's the differentiation here, because the Gemara never, or the, either the Gemara leaves it as a problem, right. Well, is only the difference of Hashem and Nedim we say close and close. Right. For Shabbos, and the Komila is considered, you know. Yeah, that's hard because Hashem and Nedim should impact on Shabbos. I mean, Shabbos, we're not talking about a Torah prescription, we're talking about something that's carried. You can say that, you know, for Hashem and Nedim, typically people, you know, say the clothing is not typical clothing. But on the other hand, if somebody is wearing them, but these things, they're not commonly worn, but, but you know, they, but they are worn in some cases enough to be considered clothing. Right. So, Rabbi Yudin Dvish, to go back to what, so what, what's that like if someone says really says it's a it always has to do with the... Uh, here, so we're going to say Rabbi Yudin right now. Okay, Rabbi Yudin Omer, call if you don't know there, I'll give the context. So, Tanya, Kate, I'm Rabbi Yudin, call if you don't know there, you're Lavush, Samer. He's wearing wool, it's itchy. Right? That's a bad experience. Then he takes a net from Samar, also a little potion, with a little Then he's referring clearly to not wearing wool anymore because that's what's bothering him, but he's allowed to carry wool because that's not what the context. He had towing Pishtan, right? He's carrying Pishtan, he's here. And the same would be true of Samar. He's carrying along. And then he says, Koni Pishtan, Olay Olay, because of the smell or the burden. Mutabu Post, you can wear it, also a little And then he can't carry it. 
that's it, exactly. Everything in the context means that what you have to look at what, what's bothering him that is forcing, why is he taking the nether? And he's taking the nether because of the, what's going on in the context that he's in. Talk to me that. It almost looks like Rabbi is explaining. As Iran says, the review is. It would be hard to explain if I say it's nether no Christian, you know, I'm wearing leather, and I'm carrying some heavy smelling Christian, someone tell you he's not going to wear the, you know, Christian clothes. And he says that if you look, the Ran says what you're saying. He says the Tanit of Asmisa and Spirulay to Rabbi Huda Modul Tanakama. In our Mishnah, Rabbi Huda agrees with Tanakama. Hey, for the Lekho Chacha. Whenever there's no clear definition of what the net is about, the Visha Mashma Vlotina. Definition of the word. When you ever say Tzemer, the basic word means clothing and not carrying Tzemer. So if you use the word in, in, out of context, and so I think Mr. Abanon would agree with uh, Abuzim. That maybe, maybe in context, in context, context that you know. But the Bryce it does not sound like that. Review the Bryce much is really the Mishraitina Nami by Hokafa. The Maestro says that everything needs context. If it's not a context, you would ask for both wearing and carrying everything, and you need a proof otherwise. So again, what is that? Mistarid must be some kind of one. Sounds like the Maestro is implicit. We should go like our Mishnah. The Stam Lubisha Mashma. If you use Tamer without any context, that means wearing it, and you would be allowed to carry it. So though the Rambam disagrees with that conclusion, he says he believes that that's the way we should read Rabbi Yehuda in the conclusion. That if you just say Zemer, it means Levisha not carrying it. That's normal. When people talk about wool, not carrying about carrying around wool, they're talking about wearing wool. But if there's a context which defines otherwise, then we say that he's defined by the context, not simply by wearing, wearing wool. Right.